0: Welcome, GBC Church family. I pray this video finds you well and in good health and continuing to uh, hold up under our present circumstances. Uh, hopefully soon we will be able to meet together once again as the body of Christ. But until then, we're making the best of the technology we have, and we uh, pray that this is, these videos and these teachings are a blessing uh, for you. Well, tonight we're back in Ecclesiastes. We're going to be looking at chapter 8. Last week we finished up chapter 7 and verse 1 of chapter 8 dealing with our search for wisdom. But tonight we kind of have a different topic that Solomon brings up for us in chapter 8 here, the first nine verses. He talks about the issue of authority. Sometimes God allows our teaching through the Bible to actually sync up with what's going on around us. And with this shelter in place order, uh, most of our personal rights, our freedoms, our liberties, even as Americans have been surrendered for the betterment of our community due to this COVID-19 pandemic. And up until now, I I think most people have gone along and volunteered to do what they can. Um, We're being told we're doing the right thing. Staying at home, working from home, donning masks when we're out shopping, maintaining social distancing, all those things, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum. But I think that people are getting a little restless, to be honest with you, and I see that. And I sure hope that the politicians and the others, the powers that be, don't try to push their luck with this, with this shelter in place order too much longer. Um, well, in this section of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is talking about authority. He's talking about authority. Not God's authority, mind you, but earthly human authority. And this is something we face every day. Uh, whether we're dealing with the police, when we see a police, they're a sign of authority. You see that little red light going off or the flashing strobe lights. You got to pull over. That's a sign of authority. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to pull over. All pe-. Some people do, believe it or not, but they pay for it in the end. Or a school teacher, a sign of authority. Or your boss, even politicians, in a way, are a sign of authority. They're elected to rule over us. Laws, rules, regulations. All those things we're called to to deal with, to face those, to adapt to them, to understand what they are in our society. And Solomon here in chapter 8 doesn't really hide from that problem. He uh, he just kind of lays it right there on the line for us. And so I want to read our text for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And I want us to look at verse, beginning in verse 2. We We went up through chapter 8 verse 1 last study. Remember the the chapter breaks in your Bible are not inspired. They're just put there for our convenience. So verse one of chapter eight literally kind of goes along with the end of chapter seven. So we'll begin reading in, in verse two of chapter eight. You can follow along in your Bibles. I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases for the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him what are you doing whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way for there is a time and a way for everything although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word this, today. And we pray that you would just provide for us the enablement to understand it. We thank you that you provide for us this truth, this book that directs our lives. Help us to understand and apply what the Bible teaches concerning human authority. Help us to recognize and submit to your authority over all things. We thank you for being the sovereign God over all things, all powerful. I pray you'll assist us as we go through this chapter, the first nine verses anyway, help us to understand your word. We ask all these things in the name that is above all names, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. See, there's a problem with authority today in our society, and it's been going on for years. It's really been going on for years. It's a huge problem. You see it all around us. It comes down to really the, the problem of rights. Uh, interesting study by John Hopkins University years ago. Uh, they, they traced the years from the 60s all the way to the 80s. 20 years they did this study. And they wanted to find out what's wrong with America. That was the the title of their study. And during those years, and even still today, there has been a great attack on institutions and any kind of authority over anybody. Well, when you read that study, the conclusion of the study basically said the problem with America is just that, it's authority. It's authority. They, They didn't give you any real answers they ruled out God completely out of the picture, out of the part of their study. Uh, and so there's, there's, we have to understand there's no basis for authority apart from God. You go all the way back to the beginning of human history itself, you can see God is the one who established any kind of authority. Romans 13, 1, right? We're going to look at that in a little bit. I mean, who has the right to say who is Right? Uh, Ultimately, all authority, all authority, must begin with God. Interesting story. Back in the 1800s, I think it was 1803, there was a General Lafayette in the U.S. Congress granted to General Lafayette 11,520 acres of land called the Territory of Orleans. And they granted it to him for his assistance. Well, a few months later, a portion of that land was given to an organization called the the Corporation of Orleans. And immediately, there was a conflict. And General Lafayette, encouraged by his lawyers, said, hey, you you got this case, they already gave it to you, go to court and uh, don't, don't give in to this. And here's what General Lafayette said, in response to his lawyers trying to push him into court, he says, I cannot consent even to inquire into the validity of my title of the land. It was gratuitously bestowed on me by Congress, and it is for them to decide what was given. I cannot for a moment, he says, think of entering into uh, litigation with any public body or institution of government in this country and upon that basically he relinquished all rights to that land and said give it to the people that want it that's okay and today that's where the city of new orleans is actually built see lafayette general lafayette believed that you never had the right to question the government or any authority for that matter well sometimes you have to question authority I just watched a video someone sent from the church to me the other day and had two well-qualified doctors, and they were speaking about the whole pandemic and sheltering in place, and they were from Kern County, I think, down near Bakersfield, accomplished professional doctors, ER doctors. They had urgent care, a line of urgent care centers, very well established. And they held a what seemed to be like a pre, uh, press briefing And they were answering questions about the shelter-in-place order and the COVID virus and everything. And this is what they've spent their life doing, 20, 30 years. And what they said made perfect sense to me as I listened to their video. They said really by, as a doctor, they said, we're just looking at it purely scientific. By sheltering in place, we're actually making ourselves more susceptible to the virus because our immune system is growing weaker and weaker instead of stronger. And I thought about that I thought, that makes sense. They were actually on the uh, Laura, Laura Ingram show the other night and I had sent the link out to several people and a couple of people sent it back and said, hey, the, the video is not up anymore. And I went to YouTube and it says, on the, on the thing it says, they took down the video because these doctors violated YouTube's community guidelines. I mean, go figure. What did they do? They questioned authority. See, in today's passage, Solomon is not trying to hide anything about authority. And so from him, we learn here three things about authority. We're going to look at them over the next few moments together. Hopefully, you've gone to the church app or you've got the outline in your email and you've downloaded that and you have that in front of you on your phone or your iPad, whatever. But as we look over these three points uh, in verses two to four, we see where authority demands that it be obeyed. It demands that, we're, that our authority is to be obeyed. It also, we see here, its decisions are to be evaluated. So authority is not only to be obeyed, but it's also to be evaluated, the decisions they make. And the third thing we'll look at is its dangers are to be understood in verse 9. Its dangers are to be understood. Well, let's start off with the first one. Its demands are to be obeyed. Well, there's two basic reasons for this. According to Solomon, this is what he points out here in verse 2, he says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Uh, Literally, the reader is to keep the king's command Why? Because of our submission to God. Because of our submission to God. This referred back to when the oath of the allegiance to an earthly king was made. And what Solomon saw here is that ultimately it's God who gave that king that authority. That's why you should submit to the king as authority. Because ultimately God put that king in place. So why should we submit to authority? Why should we submit to police and school teachers and politicians and even our boss at work? Because of our commitment to God as believers. That's really what Solomon wants us to hear. And this is a theme that's throughout Scripture. It's not just here, it's throughout Scripture. Turn over, if you will, to uh, Romans. Romans chapter 13. Book of Romans chapter 13. And we see here in Romans 13, verses 1 to 7, it says in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. That's pretty straightforward. He doesn't mince his words there. And you think you have issues here in America with those in authority over you. Think of the time Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome. They were under the Roman authority. And so he says there, you know what? There's no authority except that which is established by God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. We don't like that verse much, but it's there. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. See, this is a a constant theme throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. We are to submit and obey the demands of those in authority over us. Why? Because we have a submission greater to God. No questions asked but because we all have this rebellious, sinful nature, <laughs> we, we want to say, hey, wait, what right do you have to tell me what to do? That's just always there in our heart. I mean, you can see it with kids. You can see it with parents. The issue of a parental authority today is pretty much lost in our society. I mean, I think that's why we have so many issues with authority in other areas of our life. Dr. Benjamin Spoke wrote a whole thesis on urging parents not to discipline their children years ago. And even today, there's this issue of corporal punishment and spanking children, punishing children. Well, that, you shouldn't do that. And, and what people say basically is, they're saying, well, my kids are good. They're inherently good, so they don't get disciplined. You don't need to spank the kids. That's what they're telling you. Well, I'm here to tell you they're inherently wrong, okay? It, kids are not good. Kids are little sinners just like we are. But we're, we're called to be uh, submissive to those in authority over us because of our submission to God. God. In Titus chapter three, verse one, it says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Listen to this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Ouch. See, this, this is... You read that verse and people say, "Oh, you're bringing politics into the church." No, that's Bible. That's a Bible verse. That has nothing to do with politics. See, he's writing to people who lived under Roman dominion. And we have to be reminded that our citizenship is not here on this world. Philippians chapter three verse 20 says, "Our citizenship is where is in heaven." Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's only one purpose for us as believers to be here on this earth. It's not the campaign for the next election. It's not the, I mean, if God's called you into that, God bless you. But God isn't going to change the fabric of America through politicians, He's gonna change the fabric of America or of the world for that matter one heart at a time as they come to Christ and that's why we're left here. We're left here to accomplish the purposes of heaven on earth. That's why he left us here. We're down here on this earth to affect people for God's purpose to see people come to Christ so when we go to heaven we're taking some people with us now, I'm not saying we don't have a civic obligation. We, we do, we, we go, we vote, we do what we're supposed to do is our civic duty. But don't put your sole trust in that system. Rest assured, politics has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God, period. You just don't see it in scripture anywhere. We're not servants of this world. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in, in John 18, 36, Jesus was answering some, some of the rulers that were questioning him. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. See, what Jesus simply said was, look, I'm volunteering here. You don't have to take me by force. I'm willing to go. If my kingdom was of this world, and you guys are so threatened that I'm gonna set myself up as king here on this world, I could do it. I have enough people, we could run right over you guys. We'd establish a, a Christian state and we'd suppress everyone who does not comply. But that's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> that's not what Jesus' purpose was here on earth. The Bible teaches that we are to be subject to the powers of At B, I mean, in that text in Titus, it says we're not even to speak evil of those in authority over us. Even if they don't agree with our position or our point of view, or maybe they're not from our political party. See, we're not to attack them. We're not to criticize them. But to be honest, we've all been guilty of that. We've all done that on occasion to some degree. See, the demands of earthly authority are to be obeyed. Why? Because, first of all, our submission to God himself. It tells us also in 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake, listen to this, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to those to punish those who do evil. I think it's funny sometimes how when something goes wrong, maybe your order gets messed up or you're on the phone trying to deal with a, a bill that you got charged for that you don't owe or something like that. And you're talking to somebody on the phone and after a while, what do you do? You end up going, you know, let me speak to your supervisor. I want to talk to the boss. Who's in charge here? You know, I'm not just going to stand here and talk to this lady at the window. She doesn't know anything. I want to talk to your boss. I want to talk to those in authority. And yet God tells us that we need to submit to all those, even the lower people who were sent by the authority. I mean, sometimes we think, well, they don't know anything. They're just somebody standing in a window. Um, until we talk to the person, the actual person in charge, and then we realize, no, the person who doesn't know anything usually is the person in charge. (laughs) The person at the window knows quite a bit more than the person in charge. So it says there that, you know what? Or as governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil. And then it says, and to praise those who do good. Verse 15 1 Peter 2, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. It tells us very clearly that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. See, our politics are not in this world. Our politics are in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. So the demands of earthly authority are to be obeyed because of our submission to God. And we've really forgotten what authority is about. Um, We've forgotten our responsibility, our our submissive spirit to God himself. I mean, there's a major breakdown even of parental authority in the home. I saw this a lot when I was a youth pastor. I mean, how many problems in our lives are actually related to someone's lack of authority earlier in their life? There's a problem today with parental authority. Proverbs 20, 20 says, if you don't submit to your parents, young person, your lamp will go out in total darkness. And obscurity is the idea. And I really believe that if we could take troubled people of our day, people who are now adults who are dealing with major issues in their life, if we could pull back the curtain and look back in their life, I guarantee you, I guarantee it, that it started all the way back with a lack of submission to parental authority. We grow up, what, rebellious. We grow up Stubborn. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we need to submit to every ordinance. Well, it also demands, its demands are to be obeyed because of our submission to God, but also because of the sovereignty of the king. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4, back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The text says, for he does whatever pleases him. Verses 3 and 4. Be not hasty to go for, from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. See, we don't quite understand this. This is talking about a king being the absolute sovereign ruler, and whatever he does, he does. You don't get to question it. We have a hard time understanding that because we live in a representative society, a representative government. We want checks and balances. We don't want some king. We don't want some monarch telling us what to do. We kinda enjoy some of the criticism and the tension that goes back and forth between the different parties and things like that. But it's important for us to understand that here he's saying that, you know what, this king has sovereign rule. And he says, keep the king's command. Then he says, for, why? Because of God's oath to him. And then down the end of verse three, it says, for he does whatever he he pleases. You look at those little words, for, you can see, well, why do we do this? Because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? See, God establishes his authority. He establishes it. We don't get to establish. He does. It's the same thing when you think about marriage. You think about a husband and a wife. Well, God set it up so that the wife is to respect the position of the husband in leading the home. Now, you may disagree with that, but that's how God set it up. It doesn't change the facts. Or you take a child and parent relationship. The child isn't to run the home. That's the problem today in, our, in our, a lot of families, even within the church. They're, they're kid-centric. Everything rules around the, the kids. And the schedule, everything is, is constantly dominated by the children. Now, obviously, they're going to be a big part of your life, and that's fine. But on the other hand, you have to stop and say, wait a minute, am I exercising proper parental authority in this household? Are my children respecting my position as their parent? In Psalm 115, verse three, it says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. See, it's not only true for a king who's sovereign over everything, but it's definitely true of God. Definitely true of God. Psalm 135, verses five and six. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Verse six says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He doesn't have to ask you first. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. See, the principle of authority of the king is that it does whatever the king He wants to do it. Whatever the king, whatever makes the king happy, that's what he does. Now, that's not always going to be pleasing to us as subjects of the king. But God indicates the fact of his position, that he is king and we are not, demands that we respect it. And we have to acknowledge his sovereignty. What's sovereignty means? Sovereignty means that, first of all, we respect his presence as well as his position. We respect his presence as well as his position. Verse 3, look at what he says here, be hasty, be not hasty to go from his presence. What does that mean? Um, 1 Peter 2, we looked at verse 17, it says, honor the emperor. See, in ancient history, it was very rare A rare honor, really, to to go into the presence of a monarch, of a king. You just didn't do that every day. And this verse indicates that a person should be careful in the king's presence. You don't want to depart the king without his permission. Some historians tell us that in front of the king's throne, there was kind of a platform of glass or marble And when you came in as a subject to the king, you would come in and you would stand before the king or kneel or bow or before the king, whatever you did. But you were not to cross that barrier. You were not to step on that marble or that glass platform. That separated you from the king. And the only way that you could come across and actually get close to the king was with his permission. If you didn't, there was a lot of guards all around and you'd be taken right out. It was for his protection. See, but you couldn't just go to the king and say, hey, dude, what's up? You know, hey, later, I got an appointment. I'm going to take off. Catch you tomorrow. That that wouldn't happen. I mean, your head would be on a platter if you did that. You had to wait for the king to dismiss you. In other words, he should be honored and respected. That's, That's what he's saying here. Respect his presence as well as his position. And then it says, do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. In other words, refuse to do evil. Refuse to do evil. If the ruler says you should do something, and it does not oppose God's word, guess what? We're called to submit to it. And you say, well, what if they call us to do something that does fly in the face of God's Well, we're going to get there in a couple moments. But we don't have the privilege to just, to refuse to obey the law. Uh, you know, I watch cops and live PD sometimes, and they pull some people over, you know, the guy's driving 80 miles an hour, and he's drunk, and got all these issues going on. And he gets out of the car, and, and they're like, you know, do you know why we're arresting you? And he's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're just justifying themselves. You can't arrest me. They throw him in the car and off they go in handcuffs. I mean, there's some real winners on that show. But see, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. And for a lot of people, that's why the police are so disrespected in our society. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. And that includes the police. Why? Because we're rebellious in our hearts. But God's word says he doesn't demand rebellion, he demands holiness. And you know what? If you were raised in a home where you've been taught to respect authority, get on your knees and thank God. That'll save you a lot of hurt down the road. Um, I believe the amount of authority that you exercise in your life is in direct proportion to the amount of authority that you've submitted to in your life. I really believe that. So refuse to um, disobey the law. Refuse to do evil. And then he says, not just respect his presence, refuse to do evil, but verse four here, realize his authority realize his authority for the Lord for the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him what are you doing see we don't get to ask that question I mean what makes us think that we have the right to question the person who has placed been placed in authority over us by God I mean, even in our own form of government here, sometimes we'll vote for somebody and they get elected and then we realize, wow, this guy, we don't like him at all. And what do we do? We start to talk down about him. We start, you know what? Elections have consequences. Next time, vote somebody else in. That's the unique thing about our, our, our government. But what if you're living in a, in a society where you don't have that kind of privilege? See, here we get to vote every four years or two years, whatever it is for different officials. See, God's saying here, you can't question the king because I put him in authority over you. His word is supreme. God applies that to himself as well, by the way. It's not just Solomon saying that. God says that. Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earth pots, does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? (laughs) Or your work has no handles. We don't get the mouth off to God like that. Or you think of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four, verse 35, when he says, none can stay his hand or or say to him, what have you done? We don't get to point our finger at God and say, hey God, why don't you clean up this virus? What have you done here to our country and the world? Why'd you allow this to happen? Or Job chapter nine, verse 12, behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? (laughs) You better not. God says, I'm doing whatever I please because I'm the authority and you're not. See, authority is authority because God has established authority. And believers who are claiming to be submissive to God have no right to question the authorities that he's put in authority over them. Because authority is authority because God has established it. We're just called to submit to it. Now, I know that that is like you know fingernails on a chalkboard because we've been raised in a society that says, well, no, you demand your, your own rights and you don't have to listen to anybody, you do your own thing. But this is what the Bible's teaching us here. So it it demands, authorities' demands are to be obeyed, verses 2 to 4. We looked at that. But what if the authorities over you are asking you to do something that's in direct violation of God's word? What do you do then? That's the problem. That's what we're going to look at, verses 5 to 8. Not only are authorities' demands to be obeyed, but authorities' decisions are to be evaluated, evaluated. See, this is the point at which we need to be firm, but with a little sugar. <laughs> we don't need to be rude about it. See, you can be right all day long, but do it in the wrong spirit and really cause a lot of problems. But what if the authorities over you ask you to do, do something that is in direct violation of God's word? When I was a youth pastor, once in a while I'd have a. Uh, One of the teenagers would get saved and start talking to him about his family life. And boy, it's all messed up. Not a Christian family at all. And sometimes they'd come to me and they'd say, hey, Steve, you know, my mom and dad want me to do this, but the Bible says this. What should I do? Or even as parents, sometimes, we don't necessarily provide the best example. You know, sometimes you hear... Parents get a phone call or something like that. Tell them I'm outside." And the child says, "But you're not outside, you know. Um, tell them I, I'm in the bathroom, but you're not in the bathroom." Um, you know, we, we do things like that. And what is it? We lie. We're lying about things. And God says we shouldn't lie. Very clear. So what happens? Do we, have, do we have any examples in the Bible of where the ruling authorities told believers to do something that God said, no, you need to do that or you can't do something? Well, turn to Acts, Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, and it, it begins four and five, but it begins back in uh, Acts chapter four and it runs over to chapter five. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 18 and 19. This is Peter and John, they're out preaching. It says, so they called them, verse 18, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The authorities were threatened by Peter and John. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. So what is he saying? Well, I don't know if we're going to do this or not. In verse 22, chapter 5, they get arrested. When the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, and when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief Priests heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what was this, what, would, uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, said, look, the men that you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you, Not to teach in this name, in the name of Christ. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They continue to do it. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must what? Obey God rather than men. And then jump down to verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the, for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. You know, today we don't have people coming in, where well, you can't teach about Jesus, but. On occasion, you have some people that complain about certain things. Maybe you have an event at a church or um, maybe here we kind of live in a neighborhood. So once in a while, we'll get some flack from the neighbors with people parking in front of their house. Um, there's one story of a, of a church, not in our, our area, I think it was down in L.A., uh, one church in a community, they got all kinds of complaints from the neighbors, and it finally made it to the city council and The city council held a big meeting and said they were going to find the church if they didn 't stop parking on the streets and, and in front of people 's driveways and all these things and so uh, the church wanted to be proactive about it. they wanted to have a good relationship with the community. so what they did is they instructed all the people not to park on the street, park in the parking lot, and all that stuff. And uh, it continued, they had another threat from the city council, so they sent some people out on the night of their Bible study, and they wrote down all the license plate numbers of all the cars that were parked on the streets, thinking, you know, we're gonna communicate to these people one way or another not to park their cars on the street. Well, guess what? They only found one car that belonged to somebody in the church, just one car that was actually parked where it shouldn't have been on the street. It was parked legally, but it was parked on the street. They want everybody to park in the parking lot. It was funny because guess whose car it was? It was the pastor's. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. But you know what? If there's something that the Bible clearly says is wrong and the governing authorities is telling us to do that or not to do something that God instructs us to do, uh, then we have to evaluate that. It's, It's wrong no matter whether... The powers that be say it's wrong or not. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And so if, if a law is made forcing us to do something that the Bible says is wrong, then you know what? We have to sweetly refuse to obey it. Or if they're telling us to do something, that, not to do something that God instructs us to do, we have to sweetly disobey and say, we're gonna do what God tells us to do. You have to do it with the right attitude, but authorities must be obeyed, but decisions are to be evaluated. That's, that's very true. I mean, I believe with this shelter in place order, sooner or later, even as a church, we're gonna have to make a decision. This drags on and drags on. We're gonna have to make a decision to say, you know what, we can meet safely here in this place without putting anybody in danger. And that's what we're going to do. Because what? God's word tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the body of Christ. See, authorities must be obeyed, but decisions are to be evaluated. Let's just pray. It doesn't come to that. I pray that they lift this order soon. But you know what? It may. Who knows? Well, there's reasons for this. Why do they need to be evaluated? It tells us there in verse 5. Because our lives are affected by their decisions first of all. Our lives are affected by their decisions in terms of protection. In other words, you wanna be obedient, you wanna wanna evaluate their decisions because their decisions affect our lives. Verse five says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. In other words, if you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about the authorities. You know, it's kind of like if you're driving down the freeway, if if the speed limit's 70 and you got your cruise set at 70, you're not looking around for police. But if you're in a hurry and you're going 85, 90, then you you got the ways on, you got everything else, you know, your neck's on a swivel looking for those police because you don't want to get caught. See, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Proverbs 20, verse two, it says, the terror of a king is like a growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. See, in the perspective of the king, if the king told you to do something, you better do it. Because your head's gonna be on a platter without your body if you don't do it. That's the kind of authority that they had. And so if you're gonna obey, Disobey the king, it better be for a good reason. Not just your opinion. It better be something that God has clearly told you, you need to do this. And the authorities say, no, we're, we're forbidding you to do, from doing that. They said, you know what, you can't teach the Bible anymore. Well, I'd be in prison. Because I'm not going to stop teaching the Bible. Romans thirteen three say, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. See, that's, that's very true. You see this all the time on, on police shows. You know, you get, I, I learned very early, if you ever get pulled over, you keep your hands on that wheel where they can see you. Don't go be digging in your, in your glove compartment or your column for, for your ID or anything else. That makes a police officer just really, really, really nervous for good reason. And so you just need to kind of relax and put your hands up. And you know what? A lot of times when you do that, if you ever had the occasion to get pulled over, I don't get pulled over too much anymore, but occasionally, they thank you. They say, well, th- thank you for cooperating. They appreciate that. They want to go home to their families just like you do. It also says there in the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. See, the laws of government are supposedly to protect the individual. Now I get it. There's a lot of bureaucracy out there, there's a lot of stuff that's gone haywire. But most of the time our lives are deeply affected when we decide not to obey the government. If you just said, "You know what? I'm not going to obey." When I see a stop sign, I'm going to stop, I'm going to go. Well, sooner or later, you're going to get a ticket, and you're going to get pulled over. And you can say, well, you know what? I don't want to stop for stop signs, and I'm not going to. Well, fine, we'll take you to jail. You can't take me to jail. That's not, I have rights. Yeah, you have rights. You have rights all the way to jail. And you watch what happens. That's not going to play out well for you. I think that we need to be reminded that our lives are affected by their decisions in terms of protection, but also in terms of God's purpose and God's plan. He says, for there is a time there in verse six, and a way for everything. The, NS, uh, the New American Standard says, there's a, a procedure for everything. I mean, can you go against the government? Can you fight City Hall? Can you do all those things? Sure, you could what is it, what God wants you to do? You better make sure that God is really leading you to do that. I mean, there's a time when a proper procedure can voice a protest. And you know what? That may even change the power at B's mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, we see that. It's the story of, of Jonathan. He's pleading David's case before Saul. Remember, Saul's trying to kill David. Jonathan goes to Saul. And guess what? Verses 4 to 7, Saul changed his mind. Saul changed his mind. But you have to follow the proper procedure when voicing that kind of a protest. You want to be led by God, not your flesh, if you're doing something like that. Well, not only in terms of God's purpose and plan, but also in terms of our problems. Verse six, it says, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. New American Standard says, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. See, this probably refers to all the futility, all the frustration of life that Solomon has been talking about since we began the study. He's continually talking about, this is vanity, that's vanity, this is vanity. And what he's saying here is make sure that what you decide to do is what you ought to do. It's not just some whim. So, authorities' decisions are to be evaluated because lives are affected by their decisions. But also, secondly, because the limitations of authority are evident. This points to it in verse 7 to 8. The limitations of authority. There's certain things that authorities cannot do. There's four of them, actually. The first one is, authority cannot comprehend what is to come. They can't see into the future. They don't know. Matthew chapter 24 tells us that in verse 42. It says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake would not have let his house be broken into. They don't know what's coming. They can't comprehend the future. You know, a lot of people get on the present the president, president and, and vice president and their task force with this vi- virus. Well, they're doing it all wrong. They're, and they're, you know, it's like a Monday morning quarterback. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, they should have done this. They should have done that. Well, I'm sure they sh- could have done a lot of things. But they did what they thought was best. See, authority can't look into the future. You don't know next week, is the virus gonna get worse or is it gonna get better? We don't know. Nobody knows, really. They have all these models, but they're all skewed. So they can't comprehend what is to come. Secondly, verse eight, it says, they can't contain the spirit. Authority has no power over the spirit or the wind is really what the idea here is. The wind has no power over the wind. I mean, authority wields a lot of power sometimes, but it doesn't have anything next to, near the power of God. You can't retain the spirit. You can't move the wind the way you want. The wind goes wherever it wants You can't control the day of death either. That's the next part of that verse. It says, Authorities have no power over the day of death. We don't know when we're going to die. We have no power to change that. Only God knows that day. I mean, sometimes I think we live as if we we do have the power. We want to believe we have the power to extend our life or whatever. You know what? We're all going to die right on time. That's what my theology teaches me. Our days are numbered whether it be a week, whether it be 20 years, I don't know. Authorities don't know that. They cannot do anything in the day of death. And then the last thing here, the fourth thing, it can't conquer the bondage of sin. It can't conquer the bondage of sin. It says there is, there is a, a, no discharge from the war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. The NIV says this, as no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. See, human authorities can never help somebody out of the bondage of sin. There's only one who can do that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first two points, authority demands that is to be obeyed. Authority's decisions are to be evaluated. And authority's dangers are to be understood. There's danger with authority. Look at what he says in verse nine. And this I observed. He's making an observation. Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. We should listen. And this I observed while applying my heart. What's he doing there? He's evaluating what he's observing. To all that is done under the sun. That term basically just means on the earth, on the earth. When man had power over man to his hurt. What's he saying? Authorities can hurt you. Government can hurt us. Human authority does not always do, unfortunately, what is right. Now, in light of this pandemic, I'm sure that initially closing down everything and sheltering in place was a wise move. Canceling flights from certain countries that had more of the virus, that makes common sense. But you reach a certain point, saturation point, people are going stir crazy and the shelter in place is doing more harm to people than it is good. And I'm praying that our authorities will understand that. Because if they don't, we're gonna have a real problem on our hands. But Solomon's ultimate conclusion in this chapter, the ultimate conclusion really in the entire book to be honest with you, is to remember our accountability is to who, to God, to God. God places those in authority over us and you know what? He takes them down when he's done with them. (laughs) And this is all temporary. This is just a, a vapor that we're living here. You know, we, we get so excited and into politics and, you know, boy, the next election, all this stuff. It's nothing to God. You know, I can tell you exactly who's gonna win the next election. The man, or, or for that matter, the woman whom God chooses to win. It's that simple. Now he includes us in that process because we live in a country where we have that opportunity. But if, if your choice doesn't win in November, it doesn't mean that God made a mistake. Get that out of your mind. God has a purpose. He has a plan. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, all the way to the end of the book, this is what Solomon concludes in all this. The end of the matter is what? All has been heard. And in the end, Solomon's saying, look, I I looked at everything, I heard everything. I have all this information. Here's what he concludes. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. That's what he says. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's a problem with our society today. There's a lack of fear respect of reverence for God. I'm going to ask you, have you submitted everything to him? Are you still holding on to your corner of the piece of the pie? See, when we come to Christ, we come to him as Savior and Lord. What that means is we, Jesus himself said, you know what? Unless you're going to deny yourself daily, Take up your cross, which isn't something you hang around your neck, it was an instrument of death. Unless you're willing to sacrifice yourself for me, you can't be my disciple. It's impossible. That's why when you explain the gospel to someone, you have to help them understand they need to come to the end of themselves. They can't be holding on to a little bit of themselves and then still come to Christ. It doesn't work that way, it's all or nothing. It's it's a really radical commitment. It's the kind of commitment that causes people like Saul, who's out murdering Christians. When he came face to face with Christ on the road to Damascus, what happened? God transformed his heart. He saved him radically. Even to the degree that afterwards, when God talks to certain parties and says, hey, you know, you need to go talk to this, this guy Saul Uh, because he's converted now, they were hesitant. Uh, Do you know what this guy does? He kills Christians for a living. You want me as a believer to go talk to him about Christ? Are you crazy? But God genuinely converted him. He was no longer Saul. Now he was Paul. He was doing the work of the Lord. I mean, and that's by his grace. But that's what it takes. It takes our complete and total submission To God the Father. I ask you, have you bowed your knee to Christ? Have you bowed your knee to the Lord of lords? I pray that you have. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you laid down an example for us to understand what it means to be in a submission to those in authority over us. Father, a lot of times we get frustrated. We don't understand why certain people hold certain offices. In our minds, they're completely, you might say, disqualified or dishonoring to the position, whatever it might be, but Lord, they're, they're in there, and they're in there because you allowed them to be there, and you have a purpose and a plan. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't get so focused on the politics here on earth that we forget that our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven with you, with your son. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone listening to this message even now who has yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. Save me from my sin. Transform me. I pray that God would grant to you repentance, that you could turn from your sin and turn to the Savior and trust in the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He'll save you if that's the desire of your heart. And Father, we pray as Christians that we would understand that at times it's hard to submit to those in authority over us. It's hard to have respect for, frankly, some of these politicians. It's really irritating. And Lord, we need to submit that to you. We need to give that over to you and help us not to focus so much on on this world, but to focus on the world to come, the eternal. That's where we're going to be spending all of eternity. And this is just a blip on the radar, a a vapor that's here and gone. Help us not to get so bent out of shape over things, but to trust in you, knowing that you are in control. You're the sovereign God of all that you've created. And Lord, there's a purpose and a plan you're carrying out, even in the midst of this coronavirus. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name, amen.